Hello and welcome to another edition of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is your host, John Jance, and my guest today is Aaron Shapiro. He is the CEO of the digital agency Huge and author of Users Not Customers, who really determines the success of your business. So, Aaron, thanks for joining me. Hi, hi, John. Thanks for having me. Well, so, uh, you know, I guess the first question is going to be, let's define what, you know, what's the difference between a user and a customer? Uh, I think particularly like a software uh, company, you know, might have, might, might have been using that terminology for years, but I think you're expanding in that to uh, pretty much the global world of business, aren't you? Sure. So, so what we mean by, what I mean by users are users are all of the people who interact with a company um, digitally through their digital footprint. So some of those people can be customers. For example, if I buy a book on Amazon, I'm a customer of Amazon, but I'm also a user of Amazon.com. But it can also be a lot of other constituents. It could be prospects. It could be members of the social media influence blogosphere and influencers, people who will talk or write about you on Facebook or, or Twitter. It could be prospective employees, prospective partners, really everybody that's um, in the digital ecosystem. And as digital is becoming more and more important in our economy, increasingly users are the people that are going to drive a company's overall success as opposed to just that narrow set of people that are buying, buying your products today. And, and I know that you're focused primarily on the digital world, but, I mean, could we also expand that to, to you know, anybody that walked into your store in, in the uh, offline setting or not? Um, um, uh, sure. So, so what's interesting about the offline world is that increasingly it's being driven by online considerations. There's an interesting statistic that I came across that's actually the – the motivation for why I wrote the book, um, which is that according to Forrester Research, starting in 2012, 50% of all consumer transactions are going to be because of digital, Mm -hmm. meaning that they're either buying something online or they're researching online first and then going into a store to actually buy it. So if you think about this inflection point, it really means that there's no such thing as an offline business. Really, every company must have a digital strategy to be successful because increasingly that's what's going to drive the success of their organization. Yeah. Um, so you actually even talk about this uh, you know, metric, maybe new metric that, that maybe is, is so important. It's probably a little hard to measure as well, though, this idea of user satisfaction. You know, we're always mm-hmm. so drilled into thinking about customer satisfaction. So as you've described it, I mean, how do you – I mean, in some cases, while these people interact with your business, in some cases they do it without your knowledge, right? I mean, so, so how do you Absolutely. sort of track that user satisfaction of this group that you sometimes can't get your arms around? Sure. Uh, sure. So that's a very good question that a lot of um, companies are thinking a lot about. And, and what I find is that there's a few things. First, there's a lot of analytics, if you're really set up properly, that you can track a lot about what users are doing online. And this is everything from the analytics of your website to see what people are clicking on and visiting. But it's also general social media analytics. Like you can use a lot of tracking tools to track what people are saying about you, about your company, um, both on Twitter, Facebook, but on different discussion boards. So there's one area like that, and you'd be surprised how much data you can collect about what's going on related to your brand that's very um, quantitative in nature. But there's another piece that's arguably more important, which is the qualitative component, and that is... For example, for your website, is your website easy to use and intuitive? Is your website something that when users go to, they're able to accomplish their tasks, and so they're happy that they're there and trying to accomplish the reasons that they went there? And a lot of that is a little bit more subjective, and it's about putting your your own kind of head in the mind of a user and how they'd want to interact with your company. And you can also do things like like usability tests and focus groups to help measure that more precisely. 
Well, yeah, it's. Um, I think a lot of companies got a real sort of eye-opening, didn't they, when they all of a sudden started being able to listen in very easily on things like Twitter, <laughs> and all of a sudden Absolutely. they're like, here's this whole universe that's talking about us, good, bad, or indifferent, that you know we, Absolutely. we, we didn't used to hear. That's right, and it's a crazy thing, because most companies are thinking about customers and their audience, just like the way you mentioned, which is the people who walk in my store. Right. And it's easy to forget about digital, but it's pretty amazing to think that there's these millions of people out there who are talking about companies and brands, and they're interacting with your business, but you never talk to them right away. They're interacting through technology. Yeah. And so that technology better be really intuitive and easy to use and very friendly to make sure that you're able to build a business relationship with those constituents. Now, I'm sure you run across, I know I run across, you know, every day, companies, your, your statement I love, there's no such thing as an offline business. Well, I, you know, I can, I can see rooms full of people saying, what in the hell are you talking about? You know, my business is <laughs> offline. I mean, so, so there's still a lot of people that are kind of dragging their feet on that. I mean, how do you go into an organization that still feels like, well, no, or, you know, we, we meet our customers across the desk and, and that's how we transact. I mean, how do you, how do you catch a company up to this way of thinking? So, so it's certainly a very big um, mindset shift yeah. to your point. And, um, and so the first thing is to overcome the skepticism. A lot of companies, they're going pretty well. They don't think about digital, and they think that's how it's always going to be. But for anybody who's, who's questioning this, what I would urge them to do is to spend 10 minutes with anybody who's in college today. Yeah. And, and to give you an example, we, we, just did, we just did a focus group at HUGE with about 15 girls who are 18, 19 years old, and we were talking about shopping. And so one of the first questions the moderator asked was, how often do you go online? And all these women looked at us like we were from Mars. They didn't even understand the question. Yeah. And what, yeah, what, what is we realized... On, what is, is online? That's not actually that's a exactly secondary right. act. <laughs> that's right, because they're always online, yeah, right? right? They're continuously connected. Yeah. So... The, you, we have a whole generation coming up, what I call these post-digitals, who are always online, they're always connected, they're always on the Internet, they're always connected socially with their friends. Yeah. And you know, to them, using their mobile device is because they're more than two feet away from their laptop or, laptop or iPad. And or or from the person that they want to communicate with. <laughs> more than two absolutely. Feet away, right. <laughs> absolutely. And so what's, what's, the, what's the real shift? And you talk to these people, right? They never want to use the phone except for text. Yeah. They never want to talk to someone. They never want to go to a store. The preferred method of doing everything from dating to finding a job to uh, buying something is on the Internet, right? So the real wake-up call is going to be what's going to happen in a few years when those, pe- when those kids are starting families and becoming the primary consumers in our economy. Right. And in the business world, they're the main decision makers. And that's going to be a giant wake-up call for a lot of these companies that are now asleep at the wheel because that's going to be the real game-changer. And that 50% number influenced by digital could easily hit 70 or 80%. So, you know, I talk about this all the time. Any way, shape, and form in which your, your company comes into contact with a, a prospect or a um, a user, uh, as, as you uh, refer to them, you know, you're performing a marketing function, I think, in, in some yeah. way. Um, but a lot of companies still have, well, yeah, this is all great, Aaron, for the marketing department and for, you know, the CEO. I mean, how do you – I think you have to drive this through the whole company, don't you? Absolutely. It has to be driven through the whole company. And, um, um, and, and just to elaborate, as part of how my book is structured is actually looking at how companies can transform to digital through every single aspect of the organization, from technology to management structure, sales, customer service, and so forth. And that's because it really does affect every part of the business. It affects how products are created and how they're structured. It affects customer service. It affects the sales channel. It affects internal organization. 
uh, HR. There's really no aspect of an organization that isn't being transformed by the Internet. So how how do you react to and again, maybe this is just maybe the react. Maybe the answer is get over it. You know, but how do you react to you know some of the folks that say, "Well, that just sounds so dehumanizing." You know, it's like we've got all this technology now, so we never have to actually talk to anybody. Yeah. So the interesting thing is that I would actually argue that it's more humanizing, right? Because one of the amazing things about the internet is that the internet is really it seems really complicated, but at the end of the day, it's really a communications medium, mm-hmm. right? It's about it's created new and amazing ways for people to talk to each other thanks to technology. And we consistently find that the most successful digital initiatives have a real human face. You know, you can tweet the person, you can find out who they are, all that kind of human connection that the Internet facilitates. So, it, 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 so I would say that digital is, is less about, it's about a lot about um, knocking down barriers to communications and information, but it's doing so in a very human way. And that's a lot of the big opportunities for companies. It's not about the anonymous big company that's tweeting. It's about Bob, who works in customer service, who really cares about your business, and he's tweeting because he's there to solve your problem. Um, and that human connection is the key, but that's also a very big shift that a lot of companies don't fully get. Yeah, and I think that that's really central to how you use this stuff too, right? I mean, I think where no people question. get in trouble is when they use it as a wall, you know, as opposed right. to a facilitator, uh, you know, a way to facilitate. I think customer service Absolutely. has changed dramatically uh, because of some of the shifts and, and, and you're seeing people providing customer service now publicly, um, you know, as yep. opposed to, yeah, send some send a ticket into the help desk and good luck. <laughs> yeah, it's a giant transformation. And so the best companies out there, are, that are using the Internet in the smartest ways. They're able to lower customer service costs, right. plus, plus provide better customer service to, to their users, and do it in a way that has a human connection, that people are more connected to the brand. Yes. It seems amazing, but those things are not in conflict with each other because technology lowers so many barriers that things are just more efficient and easier to get done. Yeah, it just makes it faster, right? Um, Absolutely. So you talk about a couple keys in this 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 new company uh, that uh, there are four of them, and and three of them I agree wholeheartedly with. One I might argue with you. Um, so, um, and that is this idea of trust that that we you know companies now have to be about trust, convenience, price, and fun. I completely agree with trust, convenience, and fun. Uh, I'd love to hear, um, and you can you can answer that in any way you want, but I'd, I'd love to hear kind of the take on price because I, I think that one is actually where people get in trouble. Yeah, so price is a very, is a very interesting issue in line. Yeah. Um, so it's, what you're alluding to is that consumers have basic, basic price transparency on the Internet. Right. Right. So they know how much things cost and they can easily price compare and shop. Right. So the challenge for every company is, is how do you, how do you communicate value? Which is because not everybody can be the low cost provider in, in their specific sector. So the, Lord, the name of the of game them, is some, some of them keep trying though. <laughs> absolutely. Some, some of them keep trying. But what's interesting is what, what's interesting if, if you, if you look in, if you engage in a little bit of a, your own usability exercise, yeah. um, let's say you go to Amazon and you want to buy a book. Right. I'm fairly certain that there'll be the book will be available at Amazon at some price. Sure. And then you'll find when you click on that link a bunch of anonymous companies that you've never heard of that are selling this book for several dollars less. Right. Right? Now, because of that barrier to trust, a lot of people are just gonna buy from Amazon anyway, even though in theory it's cheaper to buy from those other places. Sure. Right? Right. So what's interesting there is that that's that's an excellent example where price is a lever where that Sometimes the strategy of price is going to win, where the lowest cost will win. But in other cases, you can command premium pricing if you win on the other variables of trust, um, 
convenience or fun, people will pay more because they value those things and then are willing to pay more on the price standpoint. So you have to look at those four as like a balancing act and decide where in your company are you going to really shine to try to win in the marketplace. Yeah, because I I mean, what I really preach is if you can turn up the dial on trust, convenience, and fun, you'll be able to turn up the dial on price just as you sort of absolutely. And I I think that's the part that uh, people sometimes miss is they they say, okay, well, we're just going to compete on price or we're going to just be this or that. And I think it's what allows you to charge a premium actually. Um, yeah, somebody agree. who's just who's listening and just spent um, a couple hundred thousand dollars on uh, installing a new ERP system is not going to like this next topic, and uh, that's the idea of disposable software and and throwing mm-hmm. away software as a way to change. You know, and and I think that. Um, Certainly, as you talk about all this digital and all the technology behind it, I, I mean, is is the idea behind that that uh, that this stuff changes so much that you can't get married to it? Yes, absolutely. The, the basic idea here is that technology is changing all the time, but also user needs are changing all the time too, as well as the demands for your business to become more and more, um, you know, technology advanced in terms of how people can interact with your company. So the point behind the discussion around disposable technology is that companies have to have the willingness and courage, courage to think about technology less as a capital investment right. where you buy it once and it's going to be there for 10 years and you don't touch it, but something that's more of an operating expense where you're constantly changing and iterating it all the time in response to your business needs. Um, and the, it doesn't mean you know, clearly you need some capital investment like an ERP system. There's definitely these big investments, but the point is that you have to really have the courage to make sure the technology that you have in place is really reflective of your business and not let technology hold you back. And I would say the number one thing that I've seen in companies who want to move to digital but fail, it's because their technology is so screwed up that they can't do it, and they're not willing to, to have the courage to throw it away and do new things because they spent so much money out in the past. And that's like this handcuff that holds them back. Yeah, I mean, to think about all the companies that, that – are actually doing things that are not very customer friendly because, well, that's the way our system works, <laughs> and, uh, exactly. and we're stuck with it. Um, but, right. but and, right. and that's the point. And that's going to and that and that excuse that excuse, and to me, it is an excuse. Sure. It's just going to drive drive the company down. So at some point, you have to bite the bullet and say, you know, we're going to have technology that's going to be reflective of what our users need. Now, the good news is that in today's technology environment, thanks to cloud computing and open source software, a lot of this stuff is a lot cheaper than people think, but um, it is a big philosophical shift that people have to get their head around. Yeah, and I, and I think even, you know, particularly I have a lot of small business owners uh, that uh, are uh, listeners to this show, and I, and I think that, you know, in, uh, the way I sort of look at some of these changes in technology is, is almost like a cost of goods sold or or, or a cost That's of right. providing a service uh, because right. some of this stuff really makes your your ability to compete. Um, and, and I think that's a, you know, as you're suggesting, that's a great way to look at it. Yep. Um, Another topic that I that I love and have talked a lot about, and and I think I really like the way you position it, is this idea of creating higher calling uh, products, and and that mm-hmm. yeah, I think I think you're right on, and that the expectation actually with all of these new all of these new the technology and whatnot, it actually allows us to use no longer enough to create something, stick it in a box, and hope people buy it. Um, that uh, so so what are some of the ways that you um, are suggesting people? look at uh, creating this higher calling approach? So, uh, so a lot of what, we're, what, what, I'm, what I would encourage companies to think about is what is the real problem that you're solving for your users? And the, so if you look at, let's say, you're a shoe company. Are you 
what problem are you really solving? Is it, are you solving shoes or are you solving because people want to be fit and stay in shape or they need a, trans, a mode of transportation? And that's a lot about what I mean by higher calling, which is really get to the heart of why people are doing business with you. What's the real core problems that you're solving for them? Right. And then once you have that, that provides you an ability to create a lot of ancillary services and offerings that are connected to your core product but strengthen the overall offering because you're getting at the heart of that user's core problem. So, for example, one of the examples I talked about getting back to shoes is you look at Nike. And Nike's done a lot of great things around Nike Plus um, or this mobile app I saw recently where you can use the mobile app to play tag with people, mm. basically community for helping running races and so forth. And the concept for all this stuff is that, uh, yes, they sell shoes, but they're really trying to solve the fitness problem, which is people feeling healthy and in shape and good about themselves. And by doing that... They can create digital services that strengthen the brand and build a stronger relationship between um, users and the core company. So I like to think about it as this, almost this connection between how do you combine digital and analog together to create a new offering that's more powerful than just the analog offering you might have had pre-Internet. Yeah, I, I think you're seeing great examples of that in almost every sector. I, I do a lot of work Absolutely. with American Express and uh, the open you know, division. I mean, it's a credit card, but I think they spend a significant amount of money trying to attract small business owners by helping them grow their business in, in other ways. And I think that's... Open's a fantastic example yeah, of that. I think that's kind of where, where we're headed. Um, so how do you find or... or you know, because I've obviously in, in, in some folks that are listening, I mean, maybe they have to change who they're looking for even as employees because I don't – it's not just enough to install this technology, right? You have to have people that want to operate it. Um, mm-hmm. So so how do you uh, um, how do you hire, you know, sort of people that, that, you know, have this digital mindset? I mean, is there – is it simply a matter of going to the colleges now or – So hi- hiring is, a, is an interesting challenge for a lot of companies yeah. and – Perhaps the biggest frustration that I find uh, companies have when they hire is that too many digital employees of companies are locked in that corner room down in the dungeon next to IT, and they have no meaningful impact on the company. They have no budget, no resources, and then they get frustrated and they leave. And for better or for worse, a lot of digital talent, especially younger folks, are somewhat idealistic. They want to make an impact. They want to do great things. And they go into these companies and they're just not able to do their job and then they get frustrated and and quit. And so it can be a scary thing, but the biggest thing companies can do is fundamentally give digital talent the power and authority to change the organization and make them more digital. And if you give them that freedom and environment that supports that, that can be a real catalyst for attracting a lot of talent and really make an impact in the organization. In the end, if you, if you think about every company as as every company has to become effectively a technology business to succeed in this economy, the most senior technology person you have in the company is going to heavily drive the success of their business. So you have to decide, you know, are they going to be given the tools to succeed or are they going to be hemmed in through a lot of bureaucracy? Well, you know, it's interesting that a lot of organizations that I have dealt with, that person is still um, is still sort of a uh, um, a computer person as opposed to a digital person, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. and so they're, you know, they're more, they're, they've been hired to make sure the processes work right and that the right. payroll interfaces with, you know, this and that. And, and it's, mm-hmm. it's a different type of, uh, of mindset that you're talking about, isn't it? Yes. So it's all well and good to have a good IT department, but successful digital is much more than that, to your point. And a lot of it is the strategy and what the companies can do organizationally and all the business and digital marketing things that are far beyond just the engineering. 
So it's a much bigger way to think about it. And to your point, often the most senior tech digital person is locked in IT, dealing with payroll and all this stuff, and then they don't have an ability to make a broader impact. Yeah, it'd be interesting. Uh, I know that there was a, a, a tr- certainly a trend over the last few years, uh, companies hiring community managers. I think it'd be kind of interesting to think in terms of uh, of, of a person or a department that, that basically just went throughout the organization, making them more digital. Mm-hmm. That's, that's cool. certainly starting to happen. Yeah, yeah. And so, it's so, also starting to happen from the top, too. Yeah. Um, for example, if you look at your example, like American Express, right. uh, they just hired – about a year ago, they hired someone who um, to become the president of one of their major divisions who previously was the CEO of Skype. And that kind of shift, having someone who's a digital guy having control of a broader portfolio within a company that has nothing to do with digital, is a pretty new thing. But that's what a lot of the most cutting-edge companies are doing to really transform their companies to become more of a digital business. Yeah. Well, uh, we have uh, exhausted the time that, uh, that we have allotted for this show um... Aaron Shapiro, author of Users, Not Customers. Is there a, um, a, a place, to, uh, I know, just, just AaronShapiro.com, or do you have a place just for the book? Or uh, there's, there's AaronShapiro.com, and there's also UsersNotCustomers.com. UsersNotCustomers.com, and obviously you can mm-hmm. get the book in uh, pretty much uh, any form or place that they sell books. So, That's right. Uh, Aaron, thanks for joining me. A great discussion and me. great book. Thank you. All right. Take care.